say one of them, at least one of them, has to have definitive truth. So our job is to figure out what is the truth. How do we ascertain that truth? How do we uh, absorb that truth? And then how do we let that dictate our lives? That's when you get into some difficult matters. Um, the one thing I would suggest in this regard is, is that you first pay very close attention to their source, their documented source, by which they get their authority. Every religion has some sort of a document, a book, a letter, a writing, something that indicates this is what we believe, this is what we're going to be, this is how we're going to be, and this is what we're going to model our lives after. In this case, we use the Holy Scriptures, and ours will be coming in a couple weeks when we talk about that particular topic. So we're not going to talk much about it today. But for us, we, we dictate, at least those of us who believe, we believe that God has given us this love letter for us to teach us who he is and to teach us what he wants of us, what he wants for us, and what he wants to do in us and through us in this creation. So this is our relative document. This is our primary source for our faith. And like I said, every religion has one. I think it's very interesting when I did uh, some research years ago on Mormonism, for example, that uh, Mormonism basically had one person who was given an epiphany and would write down as the angel Moroni dictated to him, this is our, this is our document. He had to wear a particular pair of glasses in order to read the temple or the, the tablets, and then he had to scribe it like this. Now, accidentally, the uh, the glasses got lost. Uh, at least that's the indication I've heard. But but other than that, the real thing you need to look at is this: in the very first pages of the Book of Mormon, there is a disclosure. Uh, it, it basically says something to the effect of. This document can be altered and edited at any given time at the discretion of the elders. So in other words, this document is as good as gold right now unless something comes up that dictates that this needs to be edited. And in that case, you as believers will allow us to edit the text. It's just one of those interesting things. Every religion has a document by which they say this is our faith. In the Holy Scriptures, we have several writers who have indicated that God has spoke through them and spoke to them about what to write on these pages. And so in 2 Timothy, when it says, this is the authority, this has been God-breathed and God-inspired, and every word is fruitful and beneficial to us for the development of our faith, but also in actually to go out into the world and to make more believers. And so, again, we'll talk about the Scriptures more later. The other thing is to indicate is uh, longevity. The longer religion is intact, the more credible it is. Um, yes and no. There's, there's some evidence to that. But also in regards to that, you have to go and you have to figure out who was the founding father, who was the initiator of the movement. One thing that you'll find, and this you don't have to pay extra for this, is that... Um, you can go and, and visit the tomb of Muhammad, and I'm sure it's a quite beautiful place. I've never been there. You can go and you can visit the tomb of Buddha, several other re- religious people throughout the centuries. But when you go to visit the tomb of Jesus, there's not a body there. 
because our God has risen from the dead. And that is what makes our faith so unique and different from all the other religions. The other thing to understand is I don't necessarily have to convince you that the Bible is true and that my God is is truth. I don't have to do that because I have a Holy Spirit at work in me and working through me, but also at work in every one of you to open your eyes and to accept the fact that there is a God, and it is just as the Scriptures have indicated. So that's why this is an easier job for me. I don't have to beat you over the head with the Bible and and just keep uh, praying over you and thumping you until you agree with me. All I have to do is pray, Lord, open their eyes that they will see. Open their hearts that they will feel. Open their, their, their minds so that they can accept that you are who the scriptures say you are. And the crazy thing is this has been going on for over 2,000 years, and people just keep coming to faith in Jesus Christ. It's a crazy thing. Apart from that, I wanted to look at Acts chapter 17 because here's really what it comes down to with the Christian faith. Is it too narrow? It is narrow in the fact that there's only one way in our belief system that you get to eternal life, that you get to God the Father because of our sinful nature. We're born into a world because of Adam's sin with dirt on us, and that dirt separates us from the holiness of God. We don't have access to him because of the filth in us. The more we sin, the dirtier we get. The more we try to clean it up, the messier it gets, right? We just can't do it. So God developed a system by which he could remove the dirt from your heart and my heart, and that is if he would send a person into the world that could live a perfect life without sin. And if that person were to die a sacrificial death for the sake of the entire world, by shedding his blood and taking the beating upon his flesh, that that atonement, that sacrifice would be acceptable to wash away all of the dirt that will ever be created on this earth. The only catch is, is that you have to believe in him and you have to trust him that his blood is sufficient to wash away your sins as well. By doing so, Jesus becomes our access to God. Only because of Jesus do we get to go to the Father because what he did on this earth was to cleanse us from all unrighteousness and his blood washes away all of our sin. Now we have access to the Father. And so any religion that will teach you anything about God the Father needs to be able to come up with some way by which you can find redemption and salvation so that you may have eternal life. Some religions don't even believe in eternal life. They just believe you start over from scratch. You just get recycled every time you die. Some systems believe that in order to find eternal life, you have to take another life. You have to cause sacrifice. Some religions believe that in a, for long times that you have to shed your own blood. And even though you're filthy, you're sinful... Your blood doesn't have the ability to completely atone for you, but that's how you find favor with God, is by shedding your own blood, making your own sacrifice. There's religions that believe in sacrificing your children. I contemplated that one. Um, Just for a few years during the teens, but anyway, that's not here nor there. 
So Paul is one of the best theologians of the scriptures. He's written most of the New Testament. That's who we're going to be looking at today. And I just want to say this. Christianity is a religion, but it's more than a religion. It's a relationship. Now, religion, and this is, this, I don't really have a good clear-cut definition because every source defines it differently, but religion is basically this. It's man's understanding, man's systems, man's structures that help others to understand who God is and what God wants and how he wants us to worship him, how he wants us to be in relation with him. So religion can serve a helpful function, but religion in itself should never be worshipped. Religion should never be worshipped. The relationship should be our focus. And the reason that so many people struggle with Christianity is because of religion. Our religion gets in the way of our relationship. That's why there are so many denominations. Because in our religious fervor, we see things differently and we define things differently and then we set mandates differently. The Jewish church was one of those religions. It wasn't supposed to be that way, but that's what it became. And the Pharisees and the religious leaders who put all of their structures into place, according to God, they will tell you, but they also established over 600 subordinate laws that were intended to help you not even get close to violating the laws of God. Those 600 laws were man-made laws. We do this kind of stuff to people all the time. We just keep creating more laws, more rules, and more guidelines, and it makes it harder and harder to have relationship. But Jesus came onto the scene, and he was in opposition to the religious structures that his heavenly Father orchestrated to begin with because it had become what God despised. At one point in the, in the Old Testament, God says, you know what? I don't care for your sacrifices anymore. What I want is your heart. And the people didn't have the ability to give God their heart. It was easier to give them a sacrifice. I'll give you a check. I'll give you a goat. I'll give you a sheep. I'll give you a kid. But I'm not going to give you my heart because that's mine. But that's what God wants. So Jesus was in opposition. And when Jesus, of course, was killed by that opposition, it radically changed the way the church was viewed. And that's when the Holy Spirit came upon the church in the book of Acts and empowered them to be the church and to be the relationship and to set a new movement in place in opposition to the religious structures, a relationship structure. And so when we read about Paul, we need to understand that's what he's up against. He's up against religious structures. He's up against religious attitudes. And his purpose is to create relationship. So the passage that Paul read for, or Paul read for us, that Don read for us is very significant as Paul is doing his ministry in Athens. There's a couple things that stand out to me in this that makes us go backwards and to look at Thessalonica and also the church of Berea. So in chapter 17, verse 1, it says this, When they, Paul and Silas, had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a Jewish synagogue, and as his custom was, 
Paul went into the synagogue. Every town he went to, he visited the synagogue first. He was Jewish and he was Christian. So he had to satisfy both of those uh, traditional views that were in him, those traditional aspects of his faith. Just to give you an idea, in uh, chapter 17, verse 10, it says, On arriving in Berea, they went to the Jewish synagogue. And when you go down a little bit further into verse 17, in Athens, so he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews. So this was his primary function. Whenever he went to a new town, he went to the synagogue, the church, and he began to preach, and he began to worship. This stirred up some problems because the religious don't believe they haven't accepted Christ. So when, when Paul would go into a, a synagogue, there was a, a potpourri of different types of faiths represented there. You would have the religious. They were the ones who are Jewish and have no intentions of ever converting to this new movement called Christianity. They were Jews. And in that group, you would also have those Jews who have been converted, like Paul, who have accepted Christ. And so they are now Messianic Jews. But then there's also a mix of Greeks. These are pagans. These are people that have no ties or affiliation to the Jewish church. They're just normal people off the streets. And those, it calls them God-fearing Greeks, because these are Greeks, pagans, who have been converted and now believe in Jesus Christ. All of those under the same umbrella of the synagogue. So in, in chapter 17, when Paul goes to the synagogue in Thessalonica, he goes in and begins to reason with them about the scriptures. Why? Because he's trying to impress upon them that Jesus is the way to eternal life. That Jesus is the Son of God, and by believing in him, you can have freedom from your sins, freedom from your demons, freedom from whatever else is troubling you, but complete and total joy and peace will come as Christ comes to settle inside of you. Now, his gospel, the gospel of Jesus Christ, is basically this, virgin birth, death on a cross, resurrection from the dead. Those are the three basic tenets of Christian faith. This is what we believe about our, our Savior, Jesus Christ, that God sent him for this purpose. And this is what he was proclaiming to the synagogue audience. Needless to say, there's going to be a potpourri of responses. It says, this Jesus I am proclaiming to you is the Christ, he said in verse 4. Some of the Jews were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas as believers. Some of the Jews. Remember, some of the religious believed in this message and became like Paul and Silas. Some of the religious people came to faith. But look what else it says. As did a large number of God-fearing Greeks. So a lot of, of pagans increased their faith or came to faith, more so than the Jewish people. In other words, if you really want to get down to it, what it's saying here is among the pagans, people who have no faith, no traditional uh, background, no religious background, those people were coming to faith in large numbers, but the people who were religious were coming to faith in minute numbers. Needless to say, they're both celebrations. They're both rejoicing over this. 
it also adds at the end, and not a few prominent women. These were the, the, the cream of the crop in the, in the womanhood of the populace. These were the ones who were extraordinary, and quite a few of them were coming to faith in Jesus. But look at number five. The Jews, the religious, who didn't come to faith were jealous. So they rounded up some of the characters from the marketplace. Another word for marketplace is uh, losers, uh, literally. Because those who hang out in the marketplace during the workday are people who don't have jobs. Uh, not the, I'm not saying anybody who doesn't have jobs is not a loser. Don't, don't say that. <laughs> These are people that this is their job. They hang out in the marketplace. They pick pockets. They do street magic. You know, they, they t- will tell your fortune. Whatever it takes to get take advantage of you, these were the losers. And so the Jews went and rounded them up, hired them to form a mob and to start a riot in the city because of their jealousy, which was provoking anger in them about Paul, who was getting more converts than they were, and he was stealing their sheep. This is one of the big factors with religious people. Religious people hate when another church goes up in town and all of a sudden they're growing and we're not. They're getting more people in the seats than we are. That's not good. And so what we do is, not me because I'm not religious, I don't think, is religious people will go out and will basically plant seeds of disharmony. Saying, oh, well, you know what I've heard about your pastor. You know what I've heard about your church. You know what I've heard about your money situation and about your theology. And so we hire people and recruit people to cause riots in the city. There was a guy in the town. His name was Jason. He was putting up Paul and Silas in his home. And so they couldn't find Paul and Silas. So they went to Jason's home. They grabbed him, arrested him, and said, you will turn them over. And Jason said, I don't know what you're talking about, blah, blah, blah. Jason was a good person. But Jason is the one who told Paul and Silas, you better get out of town now. So that's why they go to Berea in verse 10. And so when they go to Berea, it says, as it was night, the brothers sent Paul and Silas away to Berea. And on arriving there, they went to the synagogue. He didn't learn his lesson, by the way. You know, just because the religious hated him and and killed Jesus and had the ability to kill Paul, even though the religious were in full force against him and his teaching, it never shut his mouth because the conviction in his spirit was bigger than the fear that they could provoke in him. And so he goes to Berea, and he goes to the synagogue, and it says in verse 11, Now the Bereans were of more noble character than the Thessalonians. They were better people. They had more character. How do we know that? The definition is this, For they received the message with great eagerness and examined the scriptures every day to see if what Paul has said was true. Wow, that's crazy stuff. So if you want to be a person of noble character, this is how you do it. You let people teach you about the scriptures, and you study the scriptures, and you pray over the scriptures, and you reflect upon the scriptures with eagerness, and you determine if this is a true teaching or a false teaching. But you can't do it on a hunch. 
You can only do it by doing your due diligence and, stu- and, st- and studying the scriptures to find the answers to your, to your questions. Now, I've said many times, and I stand by this, I was raised in a Baptist church, but I knew nothing about religion, theology, nothing. I was basically a baptized pagan, all right? I, I knew that I needed to be baptized so that I'd, when I die, I would go to heaven, but I knew nothing about scripture, nothing about theology, nothing about the Baptist church, nothing about anything. And then in my 20s is when God came to me and said, okay, I want you to be a preacher. And I'm like, oh, because of my vast knowledge of scriptures, right? <laughs> I mean, that makes sense, right? So, so when God revealed himself to me, it was eye-opening and it was life-changing because I didn't believe that God talked to people. All right. I certainly didn't think that God would ever talk to people like me, but he did. Four nights in a row, exactly the same time, I was drunk every night, but I woke up at the exact same time, all four nights, and God conveyed to me, you're going to be a preacher. And on the fourth night, I said, no, that's not going to happen. But he planted the seed, and so for five years, I ran, and eventually he caught up with me when I went morally bankrupt, okay? Uh, Just to put it short. But the fact is, is when God did catch me and I finally said at the age of 26, all right, I will serve you. I will follow you. I will be a preacher if you can fix my life and fix all the brokenness, right? But I will do whatever it takes if you will help me to get to where I need to be. When I started reading the Bible at that time, I just basically made a promise to God. I'm just going to take your word for it that this is true. So I'm going to study it, I'm going to learn it, I'm going to teach it, and I'm going to absorb it, and I'm never going to question it, even if it doesn't make sense to me. I'm just going to believe that your word is true, and that has served me extremely well. Now, there have been many times that I've come across stuff like, wait, I don't like this, I don't want this, I don't want to teach this, I don't want to tell people this, but God always reminds me this is my book, not yours. For many people, though, You've already been educated. You've already been subjected to a lot of different theological views, points of views, religions. If you've ever taken your basic core classes in college, you've been indoctrinated into world views, world religious views. And so when you come to the scriptures, you have stuff in your head that complicates the process. You have, you have, you see things that are faithful, things that that click faith to you, but you also see things that say, no, this can't be, this is not true, so I'm going to disregard this. And so you have two things that work in you. You have elements of faith and elements of disbelief, all inside your head and your heart at the same time, because you have been indoctrinated by a pagan culture. And so it is very hard for you to be able to separate the nonsense out of your head from the stuff that's factual especially if you don't read the Bible. So, so we'll hear things like, you, you may have heard stuff like this. God helps those who help themselves, not biblical. God helps those who can't help themselves, which is all of us. In other words, you can't fix your problems yourself and then come to God clean. Jesus is the only way for you to clean up your act and to become righteous enough to enter into the presence of God. Jesus is the only way. But this nonsense in our heads, well, I'm a good person. The Bible says no one's good, not anyone. All of us, all of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But we, we hear this nonsense and we're like, well, I like that. I'm going to take this. Oprah taught me this. I'll take this. Dr. Phil said this. And now I have my theology in place and I'm going to create the church of Darren. 
because no one else agrees with me. And you see why we have so many different denominations. Let me get back at text, text here. So Paul goes to Berea, he goes into the synagogue, and the people receive the message with eagerness as they examine the scriptures every day to see if what he said was true. Look at the result in verse 12. Many of the Jews believed. How is that possible? In Thessalonica, only a small amount of the Jews believed. But remember, in Thessalonica, they were resistant they were abhorred abhorred by it. They were trapped. Uh, tra- tra- I can't even speak. They were so upset about it. But but they they were not penetratable. Penetrable. I can't talk today. But here in verse twelve, they were open, and they searched the scriptures with eagerness, and they examined the scriptures, and many of them came to faith because of their noble character. It says in 13, when the Jews in Thessalonica heard that there was a revival going on in the Berean synagogue, they couldn't stand for this. So they raised up their revolters, their rioters, and they sent them to Berea to, again, stir up trouble against them and their movement. And that's when we get to the passage that Don read for today. Again, in order to escape Berea, to start over again, It says they went to Athens, and while Paul was waiting for them in Athens, waiting for uh, Silas and Timothy to come and to join him, he became greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. Now, you would think that Paul has learned from his experience in Thessalonica to keep his mouth shut. You would think that he learned in Berea, be very careful who you preach to, keep your mouth shut. But here he goes to Athens, and the first thing he does is he notices that the place is full of idols. Uh, there's a term in the Greek that was used here. I can't remember the exact word, but it implies when you go to a jungle and there's so many trees that you can't see through them, that is the same word used to describe full of idols. The idols were so thick in the city that you couldn't see through them to see what was the motivation behind them or who was attached to them, that kind of thing. So... He went to the synagogue, and he began to reason with the people who were gathered there. He says that he reasoned with the Jews, with the God-fearing Greeks, and he also went into the marketplace to reason with them. These are the losers. These are the thugs. These are the thieves. These are the deceivers. But yet he even went to them and began to reason with them through the scriptures. He says that there was a group of Epicurean and Stoic philosophers who were disputing him, debating him, but he stayed true to his word. He just broke out the Bible, and he said, let me guide you through the process. And for hours and hours, Paul taught them from the scriptures who Jesus was. And and this is the kind of result that they were finding here. Uh, Well, we'll get to that in a minute. In verse 22, Paul stood up in the meeting of the Areopagus, and he said, Men of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. That's not a good word. That's not a compliment. I see in every way you are very religious. For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, your idols, but he didn't want to be offensive, I even found an altar with this inscription, to an unknown God. He says, to that which you worship, which is unknown, I am going to proclaim to you now. 
And then he goes through the process of explaining who God is, who the God of the creation, the God of the universe, the one and only God, who he is. And he walked them through the process. We'll get down to verse 27. And he said, God did this, his creation, the laying on of human hands, the the setting of the date of when you will die, all of these things. God did this so that um, we would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from each of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. Now skip down to verse 32. When they heard about the resurrection of the dead... Some of them sneered, but others said, we want to hear again on this subject. And at that, Paul left the council. A few men became followers of Paul and believed among them was Dionysius, a member of the Areopagus, also a woman named Damaris, and a, and a number of other people. You see, the point is, is that religion, the concept of religion has deeply destroyed our Christian influence in this world. When people are asking questions about, is Christianity too narrow? It's because we have put a bad taste in their mouths. We have shot ourselves in the foot time after time after time because our witness has not been pure. Our motivations have not been pure. And we have not followed scripture to the T like we're supposed to. We have become religious We have our systems in place, and if you're going to come in off the streets and be part of our church, you have to follow our rules, our guidelines, our leadership, everything. You have to do it the way we do it, otherwise you're not welcome here. And religion has greatly greatly hurt our cause. But I'm here to tell you today that Christianity is a relationship. It's not about a building. It's not about a structure of of systems and rules and guidelines. It's about a relationship. You come to the relationship with Jesus Christ and you say, you know what? I thank you for what you did on the cross for me. I want you to, to be my Lord. I want to live life just like you did as an apprentice to you. And I want you to teach me your ways and Jesus will take you under his arm and he will slowly teach you the process of what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. He will teach you about how to, to, to fight off the temptations of sin. He will teach you how to share your faith with other people. He will teach you how to love and forgive even when you've been spit in the face. He will teach you everything you need to know, but it's all about that relationship. You don't need to be baptized into a church. You need to be baptized into Jesus Christ. He's the one who saves, not the church. You need to live your life for Jesus. Yes, you still need to be part of a church because we are the assembly of other like-minded believers. I I had an epiphany one day that church service should look like this. When we come together at church day, we should come together every one of us to tell our stories of what has happened throughout the week. So we come and we worship God, we celebrate God, and then we have a time of testimony where somebody stands up and says, look, this week I got to pray for three people that were healed in the hospital. 
God is good, he's doing things, and I just want to share what he's doing in my life. And then someone else will stand up over here and say, I just want to share with you that I went to visit a family uh, who just moved into town, and all seven of them have received Christ into their lives and have been baptized in water. And I just wanted to share that with you. And then we all celebrate what that person's doing. And then we all give our testimonies, and we say, this is what God's doing in my life. And then afterwards, we pray for each other. We take up an offering, and we distribute the offering as, as people need. And then we, we basically send people right back out again so that the next week will be more powerful than the previous week. But what happens is we come together for church day and we just sing a couple songs and um, take up an offering because, you know, we've got to take up an offering. And, um, and then we listen to somebody preach to tell us what they found in the scripture that may or may not pertain to us today. And, and that's what we get. Now, understand all of these things are important. The preaching of the gospel, proclaiming the word is extremely important. Every one of us in this place has the ability to do that. You have a calling to do that. Every one of us are supposed to tithe to the Lord. We are to take up an offering and give to the Lord what he has done. We give him the first fruits, and he has a purpose for that. It's not for us to build up our kingdom. It's for God's kingdom to be expanded. When we pray, we're supposed to pray prayers of prayer. Praise, I can't even say it prayers of praise and prayer over each other for the strengthening of their individual ministries and their sphere of influence. Everything is supposed to be done in a way to send you out with great excitement so that you can tackle the world. But what happens is a lot of our people are bored. They're bored in church. And I like to suggest it's probably because they may have become religious instead of an apprentice of the Son of God. So anyway, is Christianity too narrow? Probably. But at the same time, it's the most broad religion in the world. Anyone who wants to have Christ in their life can have him. Anyone who wants to have freedom from their sins can have it. Anyone who wants to spend an eternity with our God, you can do that. You just got to have to do it through Christ because no one else has the ability to clean you up like Jesus. With that, let's pray. Father, I thank you for loving us. I thank you for your spirit, which is at work in us, convincing us this is the truth. And I pray, Lord, that you'll help us to be willing to just accept your truth. This is not my truth. This is not countryside's truth. This is the biblical truth as to who Jesus is. Let us accept it. Let us accept him into our lives where he will transform us. And then we can serve God in a way that truly is credible and truly makes a difference. In Jesus we pray. Amen. We're going to stand and sing our closing. If you would like to pray, I would.